Now, every time I hear MRI, I think meals ready to eat, but that, that's MREs. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, uh, we like to talk about medical terms, it turns out, on this podcast from time to time. We've talked about disease names through history. Uh, we had another series of podcasts a while back where we talked about healthcare terms as related to insurance terms, whole long series on those. Uh, and we spent a little bit of time talking about some of these like we're going to talk about today where they have these confusing terms that are well worth knowing and they're especially confusing when you juxtapose one term versus another, such as x-ray versus sonogram versus ultrasound, nuclear medicine, CAT scan, and I might throw in MRI too, although we'll talk about that one maybe separately. Yes. Uh, I will say recently I was on the phone with a doctor and I talked about an MRI being performed and then there had to be an exam of the head. So they did an MRI of the whole torso or they did an MRI of the head. He says, well, I think you mean a CT scan of the head. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, uh, so when we're talking about these casually, we don't always know what we're talking about. But let's talk about these. Well, it's no real damage then if you say the wrong word to your doctor. But if the doctor says something that you don't understand, then that can be a real problem because you need to know what is actually being done. Right. Uh, I've had occasionally a physician say, saying, well, we better get some pictures of this. <laughs> or, oh, yeah. Um, we need to get a scan. Well, what kind of a scan? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't be until I arrived at the unit where it was going to be treated. I said, oh, okay, this is an MRI or this is a CAT scan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. First of all, what's an X-ray? That's the first one we think about, I think. So what they do to our teeth, right? Yeah. Well, the discovery of X-rays by Rentgen uh, was one of the great pivotal moments in medicine when he discovered that he could see through his hand with an X-ray. Mm -hmm. and um, I read a good deal about this when I was doing my research on nuclear war fiction, which we've discussed earlier in the podcast. And uh, before there were books predicting that uh, nuclear bombs would be used, there were people who were imagining that x-rays would be used as weapons after they found out they could use serious damage to you as well as being used in medicine. Uh, for positive reasons. And so you had X-ray weapons and then all kinds of other beams and, you know, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and all the rest had their ray guns and shooting uh, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, X-rays used to be not all that sensitive. The, the film was not that sensitive, I guess. And so people get a pretty hefty dose. When I first went to work for the state of Washington as a professor, I had to have a chest x-ray to prove that I didn't have tuberculosis. And this was a law that went back when TB was extremely common. By the time 1968, when this was happening, it was no longer very common, but the law was still on the books. And I kind of resented that because that was just some more radiation exposure I didn't really need. Uh, and not too long after that, they did away with the law. But um, x-rays, most people are pretty familiar with. 
also when I was a kid, you could go into a shoe store and some of them had this cool little box and it called a fluoroscope and you would stick your foot in it inside a shoe that you were trying on and it would create a real-time live image of the bones in your foot so you could see exactly how they fit in the shoe there's no real advantage to this over seeing that feels good or it pinches a bit but it was very entertaining and uh, so some stores invested in these machines to draw in customers well eventually people realized of course these were not shielded they were not only giving unhealthy amounts of radiation to the customers coming in but the poor shoe salesman was getting much more of a dose than they ought to too so they were finally banned <laughs> yeah that sounds like a blast from the past yeah so uh, today we try to minimize our exposure to x-rays but a lot of people experience x-rays in a ct scan also called a cat scan for a slangy term it stands for computerized tomography tomography refers to a traditional way of examining tissues by making very very thin slices of the tissue they're thin enough so that you can put them on a slide and examine them through a microscope and see what's going on inside the tissues so that's tomography um, but this is virtual tomography they're not actually slicing and dicing the patient they're doing a whole series of thin x-rays to you doing a cross-section of whatever the part of the body is being examined and it can give a very detailed imagery of what's going on in the body but of course if you were to try the old-fashioned tomography on a person you're going to be destroying whatever it is you're examining and the cat scan had a great advantage of not doing that although the radiation can be a concern if you get too many cat scans so cat scans are now done at much lower levels of x-ray than the old-fashioned x-rays had been uh, so it's still something to be concerned about you'll notice the technician typically retreating behind a lead curtain or something so they don't get too exposed what they do is get all these slices then assembled together in a computer and then you get a three-dimensional image of what's being scanned so there's a lot more detail than traditional x-rays and one of the problems with x-rays is they're hard to really focus well Whereas the CAT scan, by accumulating all these different discrete slices, can give a much more precise thing. There's been a lot of criticisms of uh, some practices who have invested in expensive CAT scanners and then wind up trying to justify them by overprescribing their use mm -hmm. and exposing patients to unnecessary amounts of radiation. There's a lot of discussion in the insurance and medical care communities about proper and improper uses of CAT scans, and sometimes Patients will insist on CAT scans for things that really aren't appropriate. And right along with asking for antibiotics when you've got the flu, this is a big no-no. It's hard to deal with. Patients will sometimes really insist on a CAT scan when it's not entirely appropriate, but it might be marginally okay. And some doctors will give in to that kind of thing. Uh, or people, you know, they might threaten malpractice in a doctor if they don't get their CAT scan. So it can be a real problem. And CAT scan and CT scan, just interchangeable terms for the same thing. Right. We had an experience where a CAT scan didn't show up the details of a foot fracture, and that required nuclear medicine. And nuclear medicine 
is where they actually inject a radioactive dye into the person's body and then you can get a much more detailed study of it. Now, the radiation that's injected is very short-lived, so it's not like you're you know, swallowing some plutonium or something, but it can make for a much better prescription. And it's interesting that I don't know that there is a term that's parallel to CAT scan for nuclear medicine. Nuclear medicine is a whole area of medicine, and I, the technicians must have some term. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> Yeah, okay. You go to the x-ray lab, but you go to the nuclear medicine lab. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. The CAT scan should not be confused with magnetic resonance imaging or MRIs. Now, every time I hear MRI, I think meals ready to eat. But that that's MREs. MRE, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's the portable food packs that the soldiers get on the battlefield. Uh, but MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, and instead of using x-rays, it uses magnetism to produce detailed images. It send radio frequency pulses through the body. And this is good for creating detailed images of organs, soft tissues, and almost anything else in the body, including the bones, x-rays are better on bones than they are on soft tissues. They often go right through the soft tissues, and you don't get as much detail as you might like. So an MRI can give you a, a lot more detail, and they don't produce any x-rays or other dangerous forms of radiation. So if you're concerned about the amount of exposure to radioactivity you're getting or x-rays, don't be afraid of an MRI. And that's where it becomes important for a doctor, for a patient who's worried about a scan to let them know whether they're having a CAT scan or an MRI. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, ultrasound imaging uses sound waves, so radio waves, to a similar effect. Again, no radiation involved. And there are several kinds, some of which can do extremely subtle imaging and even measure how the blood is flowing in the veins. Ultrasound is uh, becoming more and more popular for a lot of different uses. So the general rule is the doctor says you need a scan done. Make sure he explains what kind of scan it is, what the risks are, what it's for, why he's prescribing that particular one. Most doctors don't mind, you know, don't argue with them, but uh, asking questions to show that you're a patient who really wants to understand what's going on. It can be important. A lot of times doctors are really uh, very constrained in how long they can spend with patients. And in the course of a day, they can do a lot and it can slip their mind to do some of these explanations. So it's really good to find out exactly what's being looked at and why. Right. And there's also an electrocardiogram, also called an EKG Um but really, it's electrocardiogram, C-A-R-D-I-O. Why is it called an EKG? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the term was first developed in German, where electrocardiogram was spelled E-L-E-K-T-R-O-K-A-R-D-I-O-G-R-A-M-M, -M, abbreviated EKG, made perfect sense in German, but it was adopted over into English as an alternative to ECG, which is also sometimes used, but EKG has pretty much replaced it in popular conversation. So that's why we call it an EKG, even though you think it might popularly be called an ECG. We also hear ECG, and it's important to know that those two are the same thing. Yes. Uh, and not to be confused with an EEG, 
which is another thing entirely. And that is an elect boy, how do I say this? Electroencephalogram? Yeah, electroencephalogram. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, that's an EEG. But uh, EKG, it's for your heart, right? They're going to be studying the electrical activity in the heart. Right. And uh, it used to be pretty routine on a lot of annual medical physicals to put a person on a treadmill and have them have an EKG to see how their heart reacted under stress. And there was some recent publicity saying that that doesn't really tell you whether the person's at more risk for a heart attack or not. Um, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. But it's certainly not something that is done routinely anymore. Yeah, right. Okay, that's all the imaging vocabulary. We have x-ray, sonogram, ultrasound, nuclear medicine, uh, CT scan, also called a CAT scan, uh, electrocardiograms, abbreviated as EKG popularly, but also as ECG. Um, let's switch gears and let's talk about uh, diet a little bit. Uh, celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, wheat allergy. Um, everybody's gluten sensitive, right, these days. Uh, That's the big buzzword. Well, a lot of people have gotten sensitive to conversations on this topic. <laughs> there are a lot of cartoons making fun of people who claim to be gluten sensitive or avoiding celiac and so on. So it's gotten to be a huge topic of discussion. And, of course, in the marketplace, there's a ton of gluten-free foods. You see the most odd products like... Um, Oh, what have I seen? You know, a, a bottle of flavored water saying that it's gluten-free or, you know, things that you would never dream of having gluten in them. Yeah. But uh, it's a marketing thing. So a lot of people are getting sick of hearing about gluten while some of us get sick because we eat gluten. I happen to be one of the 1% oh. is the celiac patients uh, that actually have celiac disease, which is... Um, I, I don't know whether to say I have it. Yeah, I guess I have it. I've had a couple of flare-ups this summer. But most of the time, it's something I live with by just avoiding gluten altogether. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened to me not too long ago was that uh, I was at a concert where they were serving refreshments. And some of them were these nice little meatballs. And so I asked, you know, is this gluten-free? And the woman who had cooked them said, yeah, yeah, it's all gluten-free. So I went, and two hours later, I was in agony, and it was pretty awful. And I phoned her up and said, are you sure there was no flour in that? She said, oh, oh, right. We had to roll the balls in a little bit of flour. One meatball, a little bit of flour on the end. That was enough to make me very, very sick. It was a good experience in one way in that it told me that for the past several years, I have been quite successful at avoiding gluten, mm -hmm. which uh, I wouldn't have thought. I'm pretty careful, but I'm not fanatical about it. And, uh, so I felt pretty good that most of the time I've been pretty successful. But it also showed me how very little exposure could cause a big problem. So I'm sensitive on this topic to a certain degree in that I don't like it when people confuse the terms. And celiac disease is a whole complex of things. It means that your body develops an autoimmune response to the gluten in wheat and certain other grains. 
and the, uh, the reaction can be varied in various people and the varied severity. And in my case, it built up over decades before it was finally diagnosed and got severe. If you happen to be dining out with some people that don't know you well and you're inquiring, is there some wheat in that? You're liable to be asked, well, what are your symptoms anyway? The symptoms are disgusting mm. <laughs> and you read about them on the Internet. You don't need to ask a patient about them, but they can range over a very wide array of things. But the immediate ones are things you don't want to discuss at the dinner table. So to say, oh, I'm sorry, um, let me check. <laughs> I'll see if there was any flower in that. Then there is another 1%, it's estimated, who have something called gluten sensitivity, which is different from the autoimmune reaction. It's more like a classic allergy. And then there is wheat allergy, where it's not the gluten in the wheat necessarily is doing it, but it's the wheat itself. Uh, I had a colleague who had to leave her position with our university because they grow wheat around her. And during harvest time, it was in the air and she was getting terrible reactions. So those are all three very different things. The treatments all have to do with avoiding what it is that triggers it. And in the case of celiac disease, it's the gluten in breads and crackers, but it turns up the flour is added to all kinds of things, you know, gravies or thickened with flour. Some of the oddest ones tell you to look out for blue cheese because the organism that creates the mold is cultured on bread and incorporates some of its genetic characteristics. And the, the one that bothers me the most, I think, maybe a soy sauce. Um, soy sauce traditionally was made partly from the fermentation of wheat as well as soybeans. I've heard recently that a lot of modern soy sauces are trying to get away from that. But the problem is that you can't really tell, especially if you go into a Chinese restaurant or a Japanese restaurant, Thai restaurant. Mm. Uh, most of the time, they would have no clue whether their particular brand of soy sauce is going to be a problem or not. And often, even though they could substitute tamari, which is T-A-M-A-R-I, a related kind of flavoring, but it doesn't taste as good as soy sauce, in my opinion. <laughs> but often they've uh, marinated everything already. They'll have chicken breast or something already marinated, so they can't introduce the substitute the last minute. So it's made me very cautious about Asian food generally, unless I'm cooking it. Um, and then there are other options as well. But anyway, those are terms to be aware of. If somebody thinks that they might have a celiac, the thing to do is go to a doctor and get diagnosed. Don't self-diagnose because you can be just depriving yourself of useful nutrients and causing your life to get upended in all kinds of ways if you're just self-diagnosing. See a doctor. A doctor will give you a blood test or tell you to get a blood test. A blood test will show whether you have antibodies to gluten in your blood. And then it may go on to actually invade the gut to look and see if damage occurs there to confirm it. And that's what happened in my case. Um, it's really, really important to see somebody that really knows about this. I have heard people that say, oh, I've heard my son has some attention deficit disorder and I thought I'd just put him on a gluten-free diet. You know, this is nutso. These kinds of rumors that circulate about, you know, getting rid of wheat belly and so on, even on our public TV station during the middle of the night has wheat belly deals. <laughs> yeah. 
To me, it's baloney to say this is caused by modern cultured wheat and it's lost its ancient. If you eat uh, the ancestral wheats, you get the same disease. It's not caused by the breeding of wheat and stuff. Anyway, that's my opinion. Right. And, you know, there are all kinds of things around wheat that people don't understand sometimes. And for those of us who might be preparing meals for people with celiac disease or with gluten sensitivity or wheat allergy, it's good to keep in mind these little tricky things, the blue cheese and the soy sauce. Oh, yeah, that's got wheat in it. Or your friend who uh, thought she was preparing gluten-free meatballs. It's something that those of us who don't suffer from those symptoms of those things don't often think about. Uh, on the other hand, you can go overboard. You can think, oh, gluten-free, better not serve any rice, better not serve any corn. Yes, that's very common. People confuse starch with gluten. Yeah, right. And no, not all starches are the same. Uh, it's true that some celiacs are also sensitive to oats. And I have digestive problems with oats, but they're not celiac problems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you shouldn't confuse that, that there are some people who try to avoid both oats and wheat. But that's not necessarily, that's not automatic that that's going to happen. So corn, potatoes, rice, those kinds of things have nothing to do with celiac disease. And there are people that I've heard, well, I wasn't having any symptoms. I was doing just fine. And, you know, I just decided to cut out wheat, cut out gluten. Yeah. And I feel better than ever. Well, let's see how long that great feeling lasts. <laughs> you know, what's the longevity of that? What are you eating instead of those things that is making you feel better? Maybe if you decide to introduce some gluten back into your diet, you might want to keep up with those things, too. There are other grains out there that are interesting and fun to work with. Quinoa has gotten very popular because of some of this gluten sensitivity thing. I think it's great. Uh, we're having other grains available to us. But I do think there has been too much of an overreaction, this feeling that we're consuming too much wheat. Yeah, barley. Barley, by the way, is on the no-no list. Oh, barley is. Okay. And barley sugar. There are a lot of confections and desserts and drinks and stuff that have barley sugar in them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's good to know a few of the basics if you are cooking for somebody. And it's routine. We had some people over dinner last night, and I always ask guests, do you have any allergies or aversions that we should take into account? And most people really appreciate being asked that. And, you know, if they be, are impossible to feed, you might just invite them over to watch a movie or something instead of treating them to dinner. <laughs> right. Yeah. I went to a dinner recently where they had to be catered to not only my celiac disease, but a couple of vegan people, uh, somebody who could not, let's see, what was it? He couldn't have any grains of any kind and a couple of them were on a paleo diet paleo vegans are really <laughs> a challenge to deal with yeah it seems like a uh, contradiction when people talk about avoiding wheat as just a general health thing this is really misleading a lot of the commercial products and flours that are produced as gluten-free are very heavy on rice mm -hmm. And there are really troublesome levels of arsenic in a lot of rice. This is not industrial pollution. This is something that happens in nature. And it has to do with the water table that the rice is grown in. Can I inject something? Because I know a little bit about this. 
there was a lot of arsenic and pesticides used in cotton fields in the south of the United States. Ah. Now they've been converted to rice paddies that are producing arsenic that are at especially high levels. So if you're going to eat rice, it's going to have arsenic in it. But if you're eating rice from the south, it is especially a big problem because of this historical industrial pollution. I hadn't heard about that. That's interesting. And rice is just not as nutritious as wheat. Wheat has much more. There's a reason that civilization and the growing of wheat went hand in hand um, and made for growth in population. Now, there were problems of limiting themselves to eating only wheat and not getting enough and the rest of things in their diet. Um, the things that I miss the most from wheat are nice, chewy French bread and uh, battered fish and chips. I did find a place that makes gluten-free fish and chips, but the batter that they use on the outside has a characteristic that's pretty common with a lot of gluten-free things, that once it contacts moisture, that is the saliva in your mouth, it collapses into something like library paste. So it doesn't stay nice and crispy and chewy. Mm. Um, donuts, of course, uh, big no, baklava. You know, gluten is what makes wheat stretchy. And baklava is all about stretched out dough. They're cream puffs. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, just before I got diagnosed, I had one last cream puff, and it was terrible. It was a really bad cream puff. I wish I could have gone out with a good one. but. <laughs> okay. And the Chinese steamed buns, cha bao, and all the rest of them. I used to make those. Yeah. So you're cutting yourself off from a lot of delightful foods and a lot of interesting stuff. There are plenty of restaurants I can go to and where almost everything on the menu has some gluten on it. And street foods, buffets and so on are just loaded with you know, crackers and spreads and stuff that have gluten in them. So don't box yourself in unless you have to. I'd say I don't understand gluten as a fad. Now, there's a side effect to this faddishness of uh, gluten-freeness, which is that manufacturers and merchants are falling all over themselves to find as many substitutes as they can, which is great for those of us who need it. So I just kind of try to tamp down my impatience with people who want to imagine that everybody should stop eating wheat and thank this panic for, uh, I think it was just there were 1% of us that needed these gluten-free products. Um, it wouldn't we wouldn't have nearly as much available to us. So in, in a way, I'm, I'm grateful for all this, and I, and I hope they continue to be available. I noticed that uh, I've gotten really into kind bars, and all the kind bars that K-I-N-D are manufactured, they make a huge variety of flavors, and they're always bringing out new ones, but they're what usually called energy bars. So they're, you know, they're not health food. It's a candy bar, but it's <laughs> a little better, a little better for you than a candy bar. Fruits and nuts and all kinds of stuff glued together with some sugar and yeah. honey or whatever. Yeah. But they just come out with a new line of uh, of uh, granola bars with non gluten uh, flours and oats and others. They've got kamut and some others in them. I think I just saw those yesterday. And on a display. So there's, uh, and things are getting better and better 
Um, we used to have to make our own baking flours for each recipe separately, combining wheat starch, corn starch, not wheat starch, of course not, <laughs> combining corn starch, potato starch, tapioca flour, you know, there's a huge variety of things. And everybody had a different recipe. And now there are plenty of good flours out there. You can try Bob's Red Mill makes one that's really widely available. And Costco makes one that's much more reasonably priced. You can buy a big bag of and bake with. And uh, I found that I can make a pretty nice pie crust if I use enough xanthan gum, which is very expensive. But it's the typical additive that replaces um, the... Uh, gluten in in uh, wheat flour so you can make a, a crust that actually is flaky which is really nice i have seen commercially and i've actually tasted some frozen puff pastry that was gluten-free but i can't say that it really did the trick for me it wasn't wasn't like classic french puff pastry well and this is what I was referring to earlier is this uh, greater variety of things that are available thanks to the gluten-free fat. <laughs> so uh, the rest of us who are not going uh, gluten-free by necessity or by um, choice, at least we can uh, not have everything made with wheat, which, uh, yeah, when I was growing up, it does seem like there was an awful lot of stuff that was made with wheat and corn. Those two, those yeah, two I should things. give the official list uh, of grains to avoid, by the way. Sure. Spelt, spelt, right. kamut, K-U-M-U-T. I've seen that on restaurant menus where people thought they were avoiding gluten. Um, farro, F-A-R-O, barley I mentioned before, and rye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and sometimes you encounter things where they're, they're named something different. So couscous, for instance, is made from wheat. Yeah, right. And semolina is just another kind of wheat. Wheat by another name. There, I'm also told that most modern blue cheese is not uh, got the breadcrumb culture problem, but again, buried, it's it's not marketed in such a way as you, and I haven't encountered gluten-free blue cheese. But then I don't shop for it because I don't like blue cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's often tossed on salads. So it's good to check if you're ordering a salad. Is uh, don't put on the croutons and no blue cheese either. Well, well, when the when the doctor went over the list of things that you had to uh, avoid for the rest of your life once you were diagnosed with celiac disease, there had to be one item on the list that was thrown out there where you said, "Whew, well, that's fine. I don't have to worry about blue cheese anymore. <laughs> I, can, I can tell people not to give me blue cheese with impunity." Um, I want to add a, a final footnote on the soy sauce front. There are a lot of people who are enthusiastic now about aminos, A-M-I-N-O-S, from, uh, and uh, th- this is uh, being promoted as a soy sauce substitute that's much more flavorful than the tamari. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm interested in it. Our grocery store has several brands and flavors. Sure. Yes. Right. And that, that should be wheat-free. Is that right? Right. So to sum up, if you're really tired of hearing about all this and somebody next to you starts asking, does that have wheat in it? Um, maybe it's not smart to start making remarks, sarcastic remarks about how ridiculous it is that people are avoiding wheat because they just there may be a chance that that person is a celiac patient and you don't want to hear about how they're doing.
Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yes. And and you do get a little it does get a little uh, you get a little weary hearing so much talk about gluten free when you know there cannot possibly be people that are actually physically being um, uh, um, suffering in the way a celiac patient celiac disease patient would and yeah i actually was in a restaurant this week uh where the waiter when i i said well could i have the burger without the bun and how about the fries are they okay because sometimes fries are dusted with flour to help them brown up better and he said uh well i'll check with the kitchen but i think that although our fries don't have flour in them they fry them in the same oil with beignets that we make which are made with flour and that can have flour still floating around that gets stuck to them and that's the kind of thing that gluten sensitive people have to think about that um their general public might not understand but he asked me are you just gluten sensitive or are you actually celiac mm-hmm. and that don't take that as an insult because they they know they have to be much more cautious if you're a celiac patient so they're going to be uh, especially careful right yeah so if somebody just says i'm avoiding wheat that that isn't nearly as strong a statement as i'm a celiac patient right right yeah and for those of us uh, who might be preparing food for uh, celiac patients, that would be critical to know that, that distinction. Well, Paul, uh, thank you for another wheat-free podcast. Uh, this has all <laughs> been I, this uh, this podcast has been entirely gluten-free, but um, uh, interesting topic, and uh, it's great to know all these the delineation of all of these. Uh, the, the fine fine tune these meanings between uh, gluten free, uh, wheat sensitive, and going back earlier talking about all the imaging vocabulary. Lots of good medical stuff to know. I just wanted to say that I found that some of the gluten free desserts that uh, have been marketed are also glutton free. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't taste it. <laughs> right. But some of them are pretty tasty. I love flourless chocolate cakes. That's been a great fad to come oh, along. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, some of those are quite delicious. And those of us who, who who would otherwise eat a chocolate cake, even if it had weed in it, have enjoyed those too. Well, thank you, Paul. Okay, Tom. Talk to you later.